Welcome everybody. Honestly, I can't believe we made it to this point. Um, we are up to the final chapter. So, welcome. For those of you who've been here all along, big shout out. Um, and for those of you who have not, you can find these classes online. Hi guys. Hi everybody. Welcome. I'm so excited. Um, before we get started, I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, in this week's Mishpacha magazine, um, the art by Shani Levin. Um, art and all the music, it's absolutely incredible. Thank you, Hashem Dovi. Um, this is absolutely incredible. If you have not picked up this week's Mishpacha magazine, you can get it online. There is a free download to the album just by scanning your phone, and it's very exciting. We've been listening nonstop. Um, so that's really incredible. Um, and welcome to everybody. Um, okay, so I think what we're gonna do is we're going to recap where we were last week and we'll get into the final chapter of the Breast of Book Club. Um, thank you, Hashem. <laughs> Amazing, okay. So where we were holding last week, um, we had ended off with the Viceroy who had got finally to the last point where he, all he needed to do was to the last moment to find the princess. And he was told that he needed to find a palace, a mountain of gold, a palace of pearls, and he didn't even know where to begin. So that's where we're gonna start tonight. So thank you all for joining along. If anybody has any questions, obviously in middle, them over there. I'll get to them. Um, okay, now let's get to the interesting part. This is probably the part that's probably most Disney-like, where I was like thinking Shrek, like there was like a giant, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? For those of you who don't, we'll get started with the story. So this is at the point where the Viceroy has traveled very, very far. He's gone through the desert, through the field, through the forest. He found the princess. Uh, the princess told him how to save him. He went away for a year, then he fell. Then again, he tried again to find her and he fell asleep. And now we're up to the point where the princess found him sleeping. She took off her headscarf. She wrote on the headscarf with her tears, the secret code of where to find him. He now is on his journey to go find that mountain of gold in the palace of pearls. So this is what happens. He leaves his servant behind. Now let's remember what the servant represents. The servant represented into, in his, his intellectual power, right? He had a horse, he had money, and he had his servant. Now he's at the final stage. He's leaving his intellect behind and he's going out there to go find the princess. So now he left his servant behind and he went to search for her and he's, the search lasted many years. Eventually he came to the realization that this mountain of gold in this palace of pearls does not exist in the settled parts of the world. But actually, because it says he was an expert of all the maps of the world. So he knew geography. He knew that it did not exist right over here. He had to go find a special place to go locate it. Um, and what ends up happening was he searched. He went out to search in the desert for many years. Um, he went to the desert. And after this, he saw a tremendously large person who didn't seem to be human because of his enormous size. And he carried a huge tree. So we have this giant walking around with this huge tree, okay? And no tree in the settled world was as large as this tree. This was a tremendous huge tree. And the giant asked him, who are you? 
and he said, I'm human. And the giant says, wow, I have been out here so long. I have not seen a human. I don't even know what a human still looks like. So now we have this moment where he's interacting with something that seems a little bit otherworldly, right? Not that any parts of the story could be, you know, happening in 2020. Obviously, they could be 2021. This all could have been happening. But there was something very otherworldly about this. What happened was, <coughs> excuse me, um, he left his servant behind. He left everything of the intellect that he knew of this world behind. Everything that allowed him to feel safe in this world, he leaves behind and he allows himself to go on this journey alone. You know, growing up, I'm an only girl, um, I have four brothers and I always was like that one that was alone. Like we would go to an amusement park and it would be like two brothers would ride together, two brothers would ride together and it was like me alone. And at a certain point in my life, like I did not have the, um, the confidence to ride alone, right? On a roller coaster or something. Or I didn't even have the confidence to honestly sleep in my room alone. I used to make one of my brothers sleep with me. But as I got older and more mature, I recognized that doing that journey on your own, not only does it bring confidence, but it also allows you to tap into an inner spirit of your own that maybe you couldn't have had with somebody else. So here comes this, the viscera and he's on his own and he's embarking on this journey for the first time alone. He's always had his servant, he always had his money, he always had his horse, and now he's like, I got this, I'm good, I'm strong. So now he goes into this new stage alone without the distractions of the other world. And he, without the distractions of the servants, all the other things. And now he's traveling and he's traveling now for many, many years. And what we know about this journey is that it's not an actual real journey with like GPS with estimated time of arrival at all. It's not like that at all. This is a journey with this is his entire life. This is a growth process, right? So um, he's now able to reach a level where he he's ready to do this on his own. And he's recognizing that all the challenges that has that have come his way are actually what allowed him to get this far. We mentioned this last week when he recognized that it was a mountain of gold. He recognized that all his challenges formed that mountain of gold, that the very nature of his challenges was all part of the journey. And that allowed him to tap into this level of what we call in rest of the, the, the the power of the connection of Yidea, of like actually knowing and connecting to Hashem and that everything was really part of Hashem's plan. Every single thing was part of the master plan. Hi, Sarah. Um, and had he made one less mistake, he wouldn't be at the moment where he was today. So Rabbi Nachman now tells us that he was an expert of the maps of the world. He was very familiar with the standard growth process, which is I walk two steps forward, I'm now two steps closer to the obstacle that I was trying to get to, right? But now he obviously, because of this journey that he was on and he was an expert in the maps of the world, he recognized that that can't be the only way of growth. It can't just be two steps forward, three steps forward, now I'm closer. The regular maps of the world say that forward movement is the only type of movement, but he recognized that he had to go to an otherworldly movement, an otherworldly growth. It wasn't just going to be the regular way of you know, getting through the world. It was a place of wild beasts and giants and huge uh, trees and sticks. That is going to be the place that is going to get him to where he needs to go. It's not something that's over here. And if you recognize that there's other types of growth other than just two steps forward, then you realize that this is a journey of my entire life. It's not just, it's, it's gonna be something 
I want to say something a little bit more spiritual, something a little bit more exciting, something that is going to have a little bit more depth than your typical, you know, growth process. It's not just going to be a regular, you know, print out your map quest and just go. It's not just going to be ways and just go. There's going to be different routes and the different paths. And that's what he needs to do in order to get to the princess. So now he finally is on his way. And who does he meet? He meets this large giant. Now this large giant is a little interesting right that he's meeting this giant he's meeting this like the giant the first giant that he meets is in charge of all the beasts the second giant that he meets is in charge of all the birds and the third giant that he meets is the giant that's in charge of all the spirits all the winds now in order for us to understand this we're go i'm going to give you this one example that we learn here in the book and that's the idea that the concept that there are two different types of people um I have a cousin, I think she's listening to these classes, Chayalit Gaddisman, shout out to her. I know that she loves this book. She said, this is her favorite chapter. And learning about the concept of the different types of people. There are sun people and there are moon people. Okay, sun, like the sun that rises and the sun that sets. There are sun people and there are moon people. Now, the sun people, okay, they're, I, I, and I'm gonna go extreme because I think it's just easier to understand it when you have two extremes. The sun people are the shallow people the people who are somewhat vain, the people who are drawn to externalities, the people who are drawn to shopping, into clothing, into money, into food, right? And on a religious level, those people are very perfectly satisfied with their avodah Hashem. They don't necessarily feel a sense of lacking or, um, you know, they, they don't feel the need to grow. And like the sun, they're really unchanging, okay? They're always shining. They're always, you know, they're in there, they're doing their avodah, they're doing their job, but they are slow and steady and external people. Just like the sun, the sun is steady. The sun rises and the sun sets. Then there are the moon people. The moon people on the other hand are actually the opposite. And they're actually in touch with that lost princess in their lives. And their jewels, those are the Jews that feel compelled to go on a journey, to go, to go soul searching, to, to go on this, this search for this inner dimension of Yiddishkeit, not just to take things status quo, and they want to try to figure out how to fill that vacant space within their heart that is missing something. And those Jewish people are attracted to depth in life. They're attracted to something bigger and perhaps maybe Hasidus. They, they're the, those are the people that practice soul searching. And these are actually in the words of Rav Cook, and they're so beautiful, so I'm going to read it. He said, these people, they never have any rest. They are always in a state of drama. Okay, either they're ascending to the heights of heaven and or they're descending into the bitter depths of disaster. These people need to concentrate on spiritual growth every single day. Some people, when they have discovered ways of life that suit them, they'll ascend higher and higher. And on the other hand, if they neglect their personal paths, they will most likely collapse and descend lower and lower. So we have the sun people who are the, the steady people, the people who get up, who go to sleep, who do their job and everything is good. And then we have the moon people who want a little bit more from their life. They want a little bit more um, spiritual growth or spiritual practice in their life. And those people are like the moon and their light grows stronger and their light actually also dims once they travel and they go through their struggles. So the question is like, do you just wanna be a steady person? You know, sometimes I think about this like, um, the stock market, right? Do you want to be a person who like puts your money in like a mutual fund and like steadily grows an interest rate of like, you know, 
a, a nice interest rate of like 5% or do you want to be a person who gambles, who puts their money into the stock market and, um, you know, hopes for the best and hopes for a good day. And those are the people who are going to either make tons of money or going to lose a lot of money. Um, my grandfather was actually a stockbroker and my mom worked for my grandfather for many years. So this was like kind of our life. So it's like, are you a sun person or are you a moon person? A sun person is happy with their growth, but not necessarily going to get further. The moon people can actually tap into something more. The moon person is not, we are not, and by the way, we should, I should just put this out there. There's not, there's nobody who's completely sun and completely moon. We each have a little bit of it within us and we try to tap into that moon part of us when we want to grow even more. So now we have a giant and then we also have this human. Um, and when we're looking at the giant, the giant is the, is the epitome, right? The quintessential sun person, oblivious to the depth of life, threatened by the notion that maybe there's something deep inside with you in Neshama. Those people are very scared of moon people. And the giant is that, you know, that, that person, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody that you work with, maybe it's a childhood friend who actually is like confused what you're doing by looking for the lost princess, right? They're a person, they can be a very big intellectual, they can be a scientist, they can be a philosopher, mathematician, um, but they very much govern their life by seeing the things that are in front of them, things that are calculated. That's how they live their life. Um, the giant can be a very big Torah scholar. It could be a very big tzaddik who actually engages in their Yiddishkeit in their life, but on a very intellectual level. Um, and they lack that spirit of, um, that maybe your neshama is reaching out or speaking out to. And sometimes we can say that their relationship with Hashem maybe is shallow. It's maybe one that they're scared of Hashem, that they have to prepare for Yom Naran because, you know, the, like din is coming, right? Yom din is coming. So those are, those are people, those sun people are the ones who very much um, approach Yiddishkeit in an intellectual way to the point where they're carrying trees, right? What are the giants carrying trees? What is that? Those trees are Torah that was uprooted from the source of their life. They're holding it in their hand. They're holding the Torah in their hand, but it's uprooted from its source. So that idea of all these giants walking around with trees is that they're holding on to Torah, but it's not necessarily connected to something very deep. Um, I'm seeing the comments. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Um, and as they walk along the desert, these giants are carrying those uprooted trees and their branches are not connected to their roots. And, and, and they have Yiddishkeit, but it's, they're engaged in Yiddishkeit in a very intellectual way, just, just by wisdom, right? Not necessarily having the, the feeling and the love that the Neshama has. Now, obviously this Ray is definitely a moon person. He is like, I am out there. I am going to find that princess. I am a person who's very deeply connected to my Neshama and I'm on a journey and I'm gonna go find her. So now what does the giant say? The giant says, you're trying to find a mountain? You're trying to find a palace of pearls? That place does not exist, okay? He's saying that there's nothing there. And what happens is that he kind of starts to fight with Visra and he tells him, why don't, you, why don't you listen to me? I'm telling you it doesn't exist. Why can't you just conform to the way that the rest of the world is? He's giving him musr. He's telling him, you know, everybody else goes to Shachris and goes to Mincha and goes to Meirev and does this and this and this. Why do you need to start singing and fabringing? And why do you need to find something deeper? Just take things as status quo. And the Vistar is saying, no, I know that it's out there. I know there's a palace of pearls out there. I know there's something bigger. And to the giant, 
all of this journey is such a waste of time. He's like, what are you doing? Um, and I'm going to be very honest with you. When I started learning this, people were like, what are you doing here, Peggy? Like, where, where are you going with this? Like seven classes, eight classes. I'm teaching this two separate times. I teach in the city. I'm teaching it in two other places. This is the third Chabura. This is the third book club that I'm doing. And people are asking me like, what are you doing with this? And I'm telling you, there's a place out there that exists. There is a palace out there with a princess and she's hidden and we're trying to find it. And he's telling us it's a waste of time. And what happens? He bursts out to tears. He starts crying. The story starts to cry. And he says, no, I spent my entire life looking for that princess. And I'm telling you that all the failures that I've met are only trying to make it more and more difficult for me to succeed. But I know that they're all stepping stones for me to get to where I need to be. So that sun person, that giant who's so out of touch with something deeper, all of a sudden, here's this where I cry. And he's saying, one second, what is that cry? Where's that cry coming from? And it's so beautiful. Rebecca Klein writes here in this book that it's kind of like a war cry. It's like a battle cry of the Jewish person who's so deeply in tune with his innermost core that he knows that there's something so deep down there that when he starts to cry, the giant actually says, one second, one second. To my knowledge, to my knowledge, there's a place, this place doesn't exist. But maybe I just don't know. And we learn something so powerful from this that the gates of tears never close. The second he starts to cry, all of a sudden he goes, well, wait, maybe, maybe there is such a place. Hold on one second, let me go get my brother. And it's so powerful for us as a lesson to know that once you start crying, Hashem's not going to say no. He's not. He's going to answer you. So what does he do? He sends to my brother. He says, okay, you know what? I'm just in charge of all the animals and the beasts. So I'm probably the lowest level. I want to get you to my brother. And my brother, he's also a giant. He's also a sun person. He also carries a big tree. He also has a big intellect and doesn't understand what you're doing here right? There are people that don't understand what we're doing here. People ask us all the time, like, thank you, Hashem. Like, what are you doing with thank you, Hashem? Like, you're selling merch, you're selling bracelets. And it's like, no, there's something so deep here. If you want to understand it, if you want to be a moon person, if you want to connect to that level of Yiddishkeit, you can. It's there. Sometimes it waxes and sometimes it wanes. Sometimes it's out there and there's a full moon and sometimes it's so teeny. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you it's there. And when people are telling you it's not there. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a deeper meaning to Yiddishkeit than what there is, is than whatever you see is what you get. As soon as you start to cry, it opens up. Yes, thank you, Miriam. Shari Demos Lonanalu. Thank you so much for putting that out there. Um, yes, the tears, the gates of tears are never, ever, ever, ever closed. So he starts to cry and he says, one second, my brother, let me call it my brother. My brother, he's in charge of the birds. So I'm the lowest level. I'm the first giant. You met me. I'm a sun person. I carry a big stick. I have the Torah, but it's uprooted. I'm going to introduce you to my brother. He's the giant and he's in charge of all the birds. Maybe he knows of this place. And again, he's met with the same, what? What are you talking about? There's no such place. This can exist. So that is a Yid who's, who's obviously he's, he's, he's a sun person, but he's somewhat more connected. He's a little bit more connected because he's in charge of the birds and the birds are a little bit higher, right? So now because you're adamant about it and because I see that this is something that you really, really want, the second giant is not as shallow as his first brother. He is familiar with the world of the spirit. 
He knows what it means to sing. He knows what it means to connect. He's a giant that's associated with the birds. It's, it's, um, it is a spiritual person. He's familiar with the works of Hashkafa. He knows how to connect to people. And um, his discouragement is actually even more devastating than his brother because he's like, huh? Like, even if a place like this does exist, then like, I don't even know where it is. Um, so it's even a little bit more devastating because he's a little bit more connected. And you know when somebody who's a little bit more connected to you actually puts you down, it's even harder. That, that turn down is even a little bit harder. So he says, one second, we have a third brother. We have a third giant who's out there and that giant is in charge of all of the winds. Now the winds, the ruach in Hebrew, ruach is much more obviously connected to the neshama. And we know that when Hashem first created Adam, it says that he blew into his nostrils a neshama, right? So the neshama comes from ruach. It comes from the spirit. It comes from wind. And now ruach actually literally in Hebrew means spirit. So this is a person, this is a giant who's actually connected to the deepest, deepest depths of the Torah, the mystical, the mystical views. He's connected to the to the Zohar, to the Arizal, to the Ramchal. He's a person who in his day-to-day -day experience, he's able to get in touch with something deeper. And he says, one second, one second, hold on. This place doesn't exist. But as the Visroid pushes him more and more and more, this is actually like, I wanna say the climax of the story where he says he's, he, he's, he's so taken aback with this, right? He's so, he's so frustrated. And what does the story say? It says, this giant tried to discourage him but he stood his ground. The third giant said that I'm gonna call all the winds, okay? And I'm gonna ask all the winds to go and look for this place, to go look for that palace, that golden mountain and that palace of pearls. I am going to try to find it. And the Viceroy says, I know for certain that exists. And while they're having this conversation, they're having it out, they're battling. The sun people, the moon people, they're battling, they're out there in the middle of the conversation. Another wind comes and says, and the other wind has come. And then the last giant says to him, excuse me, where were you? Why are you so late? You see that we're waiting to find this place. I decree that all the winds should come. Why did you not come and try to find this place? And the wind says, I'm so sorry. He says, I was held up because I needed to carry a princess to the mountain of gold and to the palace of pearls. And he was very joyous. Now what is happening here is that we're actually, this moment, this climax, this moment right here, right now, is where we understand that there actually is a place and that Mashiach will eventually come. And even if he's gonna be late, I am waiting for that Mashiach. I am waiting for it to come. I know it's here and I believe it. And even if it's late, even if it's a little tardy, I am here. So he says, Oh my gosh, he's so joyous, he's so ready, he's so excited to be able to find this place. And of course we know he's gonna be hit with one last, one last um, um, struggle, and that's just that he needs to be taken there and he needs a lot of money. So what we're ha what's happening here is that, um, I think the most important lesson from my entire life that I've ever learned from Rabbi Nachman, and I've only been learning Rabbi Nachman since February, is that ain't shum yeish ba'olam. There is no, there is no loss of hope. Yes, he's really coming. Miriam, thank you. He really is coming. He is coming. 
but there it should not be any yeosh, no doubt. We should not have any um, sadness that Mashiach is not going to come. We should not have any place in our heart that we think for one second this place doesn't exist because we have to look at the viscera and we have to see that this place really, really exists. Um, and what's going to bring it is the ruach. What's going to bring it is the spirit. What's going to bring it is the wind. What's going to bring it is going to be this spread of chasidus, this spread of song and of music and of art that's going to connect us to the moon person within us that's going to bring Mashiach. I think that um, the whole purpose of what we're trying to do here, thank you Hashem, and the whole purpose of this journey of the lost princess, um, of this most incredible, incredible book written by Rabbi Yaakov Klein, is really to teach us that this lost princess she's not the, she's not the, she's, the lost princess is the journey that we all need to take to recognize that Mashiach's on its way. In order for us to bring Mashiach, in order for us to bring us closer to it, is to have Ein Shemesh, to not believe for one second that he's not here. And the second that we recognize that the journey is part of the destination is when we're going to free her. The second that we recognize that every challenge and every difficulty that comes along our way is all part of bringing it closer, that's what's going to awaken that inner viscera within us, that inner tzadik within us to try and locate and find her. And then the last obstacle that he has, and this is the end, the end is that the wind is going to bring the viscera to the palace to go find her. But it's going to be a little bit of a journey and he's going to need a lot of money. It says everything there is very precious and very expensive. So he says that everything there is tremendously valuable and expensive. And the one appointed over the winds, the giant over the winds, he says to him, because you've been searching for her for so long and you had so many struggles, it's possible that right now you're going to have another struggle. You think you're at the end, but I'm just telling you, you're going to have one more struggle. And that's because you need a lot of money there, right? Okay, he knows. He knows, he knows how much everything costs, right? He knows yeshiva tuition. He knows, you know, uh, you know, you got to start cooking for Rosh Hashanah. He knows the prices of everything, right? And what does he say? He says, everything is very expensive. Therefore, I'm going to give you a vessel. And whenever you reach inside, you'll take money from there. So I'm just going to give you a wallet with, you know, endless money to be able to put your hand in and draw out from there. And the, the giant commanded the wind to bring the viceroy to this place. The storm wind came and he carried him there, bringing him to the gate. There were troops there who did not let him enter. So what did he do? He stuck his hands into his vessel and he bribed them. And then he stuck his hands into the vessel and then he used that money to get himself an apartment, to settle down. And he stuck his hands into the vessel and he used that money to buy himself food so that he could settle and then he could devote the rest of his life to freeing the princess. And like one last thought that I'm gonna leave you with is what is that vessel? What's that vessel, that endless pit? Is that like a credit card with no limit? What was it? Rabbi Nachman teaches that that vessel was a vessel of bitachon, of having real, real bitachon in Hashem. And when you have that vessel, a deep and real, live trust within Hashem, that He's going to provide you for every difficulty and situation that you have, you're good. You're absolutely good to go. When you put your bitachon into practice, there's no such thing in saying that I'm not able to afford it, I'm not able to do this. You know, um, they always say, and I'm not sure, and I know this is true because I have Bitachon, but like, 
you know, costs for Shabbos, you could spend whatever you need, right? You walk into a store, you see an expensive piece of meat, you pick it up and you say, look, covered Shabbos Kodesh. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this. I'm going to use it for Shabbos, right? You buy yourself expensive clothing and you say, oh, this is going to be for Shabbos, right? It's so much easier. Miriam, you have such beautiful comments. Um, life is so much easier when we really, really believe, when we have bitachon, when we say that, you know, Chazal teach us that Ezehu Asher, right? We learn Ezehu Asher, Sameach Bechalko, right? We learn Perkei What does it mean? Who's wealthy? Someone who's happy with his portion. Someone who's able to stick his hand in his vessel and say, oh, I thought I couldn't make it, but oh, here, I have the money, right? Or like, I don't know, I have a friend that we like write down our little stories of like, just little situations that happen. Like, oh, I wanted, uh, I wanted to send my kid to camp and I didn't think I had the, the money for it. And all of a sudden, a check came back from like, you know, taxes. I paid too much taxes that year. Oh, there you go. You could send your kid to summer camp, right? Little things. If you believe, all you have to do is believe and it's right there. And that vessel that he gave him wasn't just an American Express card you could do and buy whatever you want and do whatever you need. Because, you know, sometimes I think about that. It would be so nice if I just had a credit card to buy whatever I need. But then I would also not have a connection with Hashem. So Hashem wants to give me a credit card, you know, that has its balance due once a month, but it's everything that I need is there. All I need to do is believe, and I can stick my hands in there, and I can pull out what I need, because I have such deep bitachon in Hashem, I have such belief in Hashem that He'll be able to provide for me for all my needs. That's what He gave to the Visor. He didn't give him unlimited funds. He gave him funds that come, that all he has to do is stick his hand in. And once you stick your hand in, you're able to pull out the things that you need. And I think as a parting message, it's so important for us to know that, you know, who's wealthy? People that are happy with what they have, not people who have tons and tons and tons and no connection to Hashem. When you have a vessel that you need to stick your hands into, you actually have a connection with Hashem. You know, I think about this all the time when Hashem um, doled out punishments in the beginning of time, right? With Adam and Chava and the snake, right? So Adam, he said, Adam, you're going to you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow to be able to provide for your family. And Chava, you're going to have to work real hard, right, throughout your life. You're going to have to struggle. You're going to have, you know, childbirth pains, and you're going to have difficulties. But the snake, what did he do? He said, I'm going to cut off your hands and feet, and you're going to eat dirt for the rest of your life. In, in a way, that could be seen as positive. He doesn't have to work the field. He doesn't have to plow. He doesn't have to daven for rain. He doesn't have to daven for parnasa. He doesn't have to daven for anything. Whatever he needs is right in front of him. <coughs> Excuse me. Whatever he has is right in front of him. He needs dirt. He just walks to the next town and he finds even more dirt. But no, what Hashem did to the snake was that he cut off all connection with him. He said, I don't want to have a, I don't want to have a relationship with you. Take my credit card. Bye-bye. Make yourself a bas mitzvah. Throw yourself a party. Do whatever you need to do. You have access to everything. However, I want you to have a connection with me. I want you to have to daven for rain. I want you to beg for this. I want you to daven for children. I want you to daven for parnasa. I want you to daven to be able to go into the land of Eretz Yisrael. I want you to, to have a connection with me. And the idea is that you have to put your hands into the vessel to draw something out. Hashem gave us the vessel. But we have to put our hands in to be able to pull out. And the last parting message that the giant gives to the viceroy is to say, here, you have a vessel, whatever you need, nothing's gonna hold you back, you go free that princess. And then he goes and he takes that vessel with him and he's alone because he left his servant and he left his horse and he left his money. And now he's here, he's at that moment and he goes to find her. And, and the story ends in like such a, you know, maybe you think it's anticlimactic. You would just be like, what? How'd he find her? What'd he do? And it's like, 
but we know exactly what he did. He went to the desert, he went to the forest, he went to the field, he went to the palace, he made a mistake with the apple, he ate from the tree, he fell asleep, he woke up again, he drank from the river, he fell asleep, he woke up again, he traveled and traveled and traveled, he met not one, not two, but three giants, three sun people who told him, what are you doing? You are wasting your time. You think that there's another world? You think that, oh, you're going to connect to Hashem in a deeper way? Why don't you just connect to Hashem in the way that you've always connected to Hashem? You went to school, you went to Bisakov, you went to Yeshiva, follow the rules of kosher, keep Shabbos, you're a good Jew, Mashiach's going to come. And the viceroy is saying, no, I know that there's something deeper in here. And I want to bring Mashiach. I want to free that princess. I want to get closer to her. And I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to do it the way of the moon. I'm going to do it in a way that waxes and that wanes. And sometimes it's so clear, like a full moon. And sometimes Hashem is so distant and it's a teeny sliver of a moon. And all that I need to know is that there's a princess out there. And I'm going to get her. And the world is going to tell me she's not there. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. And I'm telling you, I'm adamant, right? It says the viceroy was adamant. He says, I'm going to find that princess. I'm going to free her. I'm going to tap into something deeper that maybe the rest of the world doesn't know. And maybe the rest of the world is going to make fun of me. But I know it's out there. Um, and while he was on this journey, while this viceroy was on this journey, everybody thought of Chuba. And I think as like just... In, in, in summary, like I can't believe that we're here and we, we've, we've come to the last week and the last class and I think the most important thing is that this whole concept, that this whole story is actually like Rabbi Nachman says, that this whole story, whoever heard it, had thought of repentance, thought of tshuva. I think that now that we're in Elul, we're going into Rosh Hashanah, my, my party wishes to all of you um, is to have this feeling of tshuva, to have this feeling that, yeah, it's not easy. And um, I'm going to have to pave a way that maybe nobody else paves before. But I'm just telling you that she's out there. And it took three giants, three sun people to knock him down. Three people who were intellectual. Three people who carried staffs and sticks that were Torah, but very much disconnected to tell him it's not there. And he goes... I know it's there until he reached the third one. And the third giant told him, the third giant of Ruach said, you know what? You're right. It is. So I think the most important thing is that don't let anyone ever put you down when it comes to your Abod Hashem and don't let anybody tell you it's not out there. And my hope and my tefillah to all of you is that you should be able to connect to this story, to be able to connect to this journey. And then on your own journey, even though people are telling you, eh, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know what you're up to, you stay firm, you stay adamant, you know that you have a vessel that you could stick your hands into to draw out whatever you need to go and find that princess. So thank you so much, everybody, for coming along on this journey with me. Um, obviously, if anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I think that a big part of my life is going to be changed because of this story. Um, and I say that I say that very easily. I say that very happily and very freely because this is one of the most incredible things um, that I've learned in my life. Um, it's not easy to close the chapter, so I'm going to continue to teach it. I'm going to continue to learn it because the more you learn it, um, the more you recognize that it's a really big part of your life. Um, and this, um, together with this, um, is really the journey that we're taking. Um, the album is called Mivakshe Hashem. We're searching for you. We really are. We're searching for you. Um, we want to we get closer to you. Um, and that is 
the princess. Um, yes, I will save this live. I'm going to read all these messages. Thank you so much. Um, have a wonderful night. Wow, guys, thank you for your messages. Um, and I'm so happy that your Davni will be stronger and you have a much stronger connection. So keep growing, keep learning. Don't let anybody put you down. Go on your journey and continue to be mavakish, to be mavakshi Hashem. Um, and yes, if anybody wants to reach out to me, please feel free to message me through Thank You Hashem or through my own Instagram and have a wonderful evening. Take care.